Hello everyone, welcome back to Pod Save Africa. It's your host, Akande Adirili, and today I have with me John Masakwa, my very good friend. Um, I too, regular co-host, if you know you're about traveling the world and living life, yeah, being baby girls. Um, but um, I'm here with Jong, and Jong and I are going to chop it up and uh, hit you guys with the stories and the uh, the information for this week. Uh, Jong, how about you say hi to my uh, listeners real quick? Thanks, Akin, for uh, having me again. Um, good afternoon or good evening, everyone, depending on what part of the world you're currently uh, listening to this from today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pleasure to be back on the show and look forward to um, engaging with you all. All right, all right. So I'm going to read the stories, and then John and I are going to chop it up about this. Um, so the first story is a bit of, uh, I think, unfortunate news would be an understatement. Um, over two, over 100 girls are missing after Boko Haram uh, raided another Nigerian school. Um, this story is from Arthur's. Uh, 110 girls are missing after an attack on a school in Dapchi, Yobi, in northeast Nigeria, by suspected Boko Haram insurgents. The information ministry said on Sunday, in what may be one of the largest objections still since the kidnappings of the Chibok girls in 2014, um, Boko Haram has ravaged the northern parts of the country, murdered more than 20,000 people and forced over 2 million people to be displaced. Um, President Buhari, the 75-year-old former military ruler elected in 2015 after vowing to crush Boko Haram, has described the disappearance of the girls after Monday's attack as a national disaster. Um, this is, you know, really, really inf- unfortunate uh, news. A delegation of ministers was sent to meet the parents and teachers in Dapchi and announced the number of missing girls. Also, the uh, police and police and security officials have been deployed to schools in the state. Uh, John, uh, you're, you're back in Nigeria, and uh, I would imagine that this has kind of been a big headline there. What, what kind of what has, what's the feeling on ground there? Yeah, that's, thanks, I can. Um, so, like as you just said, uh, this is very uh, unfortunate. Um, that's the second time this kind of um, event or occurrence is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can just recall back from the first time it happened. Um, you know, there was a lot of um, press and a lot of things in the news. Yeah. Um, bring back the Chibok girls, of course, and then yeah. I remember this very vivid. Um, area, I believe it was probably in Costain or probably somewhere in Ikoi, Awolowo Road. Mm. There was a picture of each um, each one of those girls um, mm. that were adopted um, back then. So this just almost a little bit like a flashback and just bringing back um, those kind of bad memories once again. Yeah. Um, I mean, here in Lagos, um, although it's not as close to, to the north or um, per se, or to Abuja, nation's capital, but we still do um, get the news and get the remnant of, of what's happening yeah. um, with this situation. Mm-hmm. So I believe in the coming, because um, probably this week, we'll probably start seeing a lot more right. um, headlines around this. Um, but like like you said, uh, it's very unfortunate, and we just hope that the government uh, um, can really rally around and put a plan together um to try to resolve this hmm. and hopefully it doesn't take as long as the the other one did yeah um and i'm moving forward the country can really unite um and such things can can can, can stop happening yeah um 
it's it's uh, it's really unfortunate because the impression given by the government, especially early on in the uh, the presidency of the current uh, president, it was that you know Boko Haram was a technical, you know they've technically been defeated. That's what they said at the time. Um, they said that they'd been uh, structurally uh, destroyed effectively, and, and given an impression of an organization that wasn't um, wasn't a threat anymore. And you know, at that point, maybe there was some evidence to that effect. There weren't as many attacks at that time, um, but you know, at the audacity of this level of an attack, you know, really shows you that that perhaps was a, a miss misanalysis, wrong analysis at the point by the government. And the other conversation I'm trying to start to say around this, and you can share some thoughts on this, is that um, the government themselves doesn't seem to be showing enough empathy, particularly the president. You rarely ever visit sites of national horrors like this and um, killings of people in Bajan and such and such. Um, you know, how, how, is that is that actually true? You know, is, this, is there appropriate sympathy from the government there? No, so I, I think I'll, I'll very much agree um, with what you're saying. Um, not showing up um, to such a scene, um, it's it's pretty much not sending the right message um, mm. to the people um, of Nigeria, and then most specifically to those families and to the region of the country that that was greatly um, in, uh, affected. Mm. Um, so I think that's that's an area in which um, there has to be more um, more has to be done. Um, coming from the people who are put in those offices um, to make sure that such such things do not happen. But even when they do happen, um, the correct responses uh, should, should should also be shown. Because by showing that, you, number one, show that, well, you, you're responding to what happened, you care for the people. Um, but then number two, you're also putting um, the next steps, the actions in place um, to find a, a, a solution, but then short term, but then long term to also make sure that um, what is the plan moving forward? How do we make sure uh, we, we, we stop such such acts from happening again? So I think more has to be done um, just in terms of coming from the office of the president or just um, any other um, officials. Absolutely. And I, I completely agree with that. Um, so on to our next story. It's uh, still in Nigeria. Um, and this is about the Lassa fever uh, outbreak. Uh, the, the World Health Organization has confirmed at this point that 72 people have died and 317 are infected. Um, another 764 are suspected to be infected and two, about 2,800 people have uh, been, contacts have been identified. On average, um, Lassa fever is deadly in 1% in of individuals affected and with high rates of 15% morbidity, morbidity among people hospitalized for the illness. And this is reported to, to CNN, by the way. Um, the, as of Sunday, the case fatality ratio is about 22%, according to the Nigerian Center of Disease Control. Um, uh, just to add some more thoughts on this beyond just the news, you know, we've had, you know, the issue of Ebola and, you know, Nigeria's president, Kukulok Jonathan, at that point was lauded for how aggressive the culture changed around um, making sure that didn't spread. Um, uh, mortalities and fatalities, rather, were, were minimized in that situation. And um, we'd really hope that the same, as, the same approach is taken at this time because um, Lassa fever is a less deadly, um, at least my impression is a less deadly uh, disease than uh, Ebola and simply maybe not to be taken as seriously 
Uh, do you have some thoughts, John? So I think I think the the perhaps the greater concern or the greater thing we have to probably look at is the environment. Mm. Um, in terms of how well are we really in the case of Ebola, it was okay protecting your borders, making sure the correct medical facilities um, are available. So I think that still applies here. But an additional thing would be how well, how clean are our neighborhoods? Mm. Um, I think uh, it was probably sometime last week I was on my way to work. And I think there was, I was listening to the local radio, local news. And they were talking around how just the Lagos State, for example, um, in terms of recycling, Mm. um, the plan sets said um so far is not is not really effective mm. um and you i think over the past maybe year or two lagos state um has been seen to be uh, very filthy and dirty mm. um so i think when you have communities where um like our gutters for example i know when i moved here almost two years ago now that was mm. one of the biggest questions i'll ask how come the gutters are never cleaned out how come mm. maybe the underground sewages or the connecting right. points why right. isn't that why isn't that being developed? But it's probably all these illnesses and sickness mm. stems from those kind of things. So I think the cleaner an environment is, um, the more recycling we're doing mm. um, can really help to make sure that such um, epidemics or such um, illnesses don't really um, happen. And, right. and, and that can really, really save a lot of lives. Mm. So it's just, it's just the small things I think that we are just missing out on mm-hmm. as causing um, the bigger problems like this. Mm. I see. And, and I, I completely agree with you. That's, that's an insight into it that um, is particularly valid. Um, so, so now on to our next story at this point. Uh, this is coming out of Burkina Faso. And guys, we apologize for uh, bringing, unfortunately, kind of a start of a few downers here. Um, but uh, gunmen attacked the capital of Burkina Faso, Ugadudu. Um, gunmen have launched an attack in the capital of Burkina Faso with the French embassy and the military headquarters among their apparent targets. Uh, Burkina Faso's government said four, the four attackers have been, have been killed at the embassy. Four of the attackers have been killed at the embassy and at least two at the uh, headquarters. Seven members of the security forces were also killed, um, officials say, with another six people wounded. Other reports put the death for toll far higher. For instance, security sources told uh, Agence France Press that at least... 28 people had were killed in the attack on the military headquarters. This has not been confirmed. Um, it is unclear who's behind the attack, but uh, Burkina Faso's Information Minister uh, Remis Fulgans Danjinu told State TV that it has uh, it had strong overtones of terrorism. Uh, a French source said that the situation at the embassy is now under control. Um, just, just, just a singular thought on that. Um, this is more of an information piece, so you guys are aware of the challenges that uh, uh, Burkina Faso is currently having. Um, please keep them in your prayers. Um, John, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. So it's a, this. This is a good. This is a, like you said a perhaps a little bit of a cider, um twist um, in our conversation. Mm. Um, but we'll first like to start like you rightly said, um, by just keeping them in our thoughts and prayers. Mm. Um, and as of now, um, there isn't necessarily um, a clear report um, that has been out yet as to as to the, the, the source of this. Um, but I think it, once again, probably goes back to just having um, communities and having countries um, with 
probably rapid or quick responses when you think of maybe the military mm-hmm. or when you think of um, military or police kind of um, organizations mm-hmm. um, to making sure that we're, we're well equipped and we're able to to really respond to such things yeah. um, in due t- with plenty of time exactly. uh, rather so right. Right. and you're, you're always preparing for the worst case scenario right you're always trying to make sure um, so it's it's almost foresight trying to imagine the worst case scenario um, playing against it of course but um, you know doing the most to make sure that in the event that it does happen you're more than ready to do what it takes um, the next story we have is from Ethiopia. Uh, their parliament has ratified an emergency rule imposed after the prime minister resigned. We we told you about you, this story last, uh, the last news update, and um, you know the, the prime minister of uh, Ethiopia has resigned. Um, the the, uh, the votes on that bill, however, exposed risks within the ruling coalition. Uh, Eighty-eight lawmakers in Ethiopia voted against the state of emergency that was declared by the Council of Ministers in mid-February 2017. Um, I just thought before I continue, Ethiopia's uh, parliamentary system is um, unique, um, and I I think that's something that even on Port Save Africa will go more into how that works. Um, The state broadcaster ABC said that the vote, however, was successful, as it was passed by two-thirds of the House. Uh, The numbers indicated that 346 voted in favor, as against the 88 opponents and seven abstentions. Um, this emergency bans protests and restricts publications that could be deemed to invite incite violence. Now, note that is uh, unfortunately vague, and um, the truth is that when things like that are passed, um, that gives a lot of opportunity for people to be, um, to, for government to be repressive, to be completely honest with you. And, uh, you know, when it starts to say things like publications, is a Facebook post, is a tweet, um, insightful, and if they deem it to be, what are the consequences against you? Uh, the resignation of the Prime Minister was unprecedented in Ethiopia's modern history. Um, it followed several years of unrest that broke out in 2015 over land rights before broadening into demonstrations over political and human rights. Uh, the Parliament's approval of emergency rule was expected. Um, the ruling Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front Coalition, compromised of four region-based parties, controls all 457 seats. So those 88 dissents were within the party. Um, the government has struggled to placate simmering anger over the country's two largest ethnic groups, the Oroma and Amara, who complain that they are underrepresented in the country's corridors of power. Oromos have claimed that they have marginal influence in the ruling coalition, which they say is dominated by the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front Party from the northern Tigray region. Um, Jong, some some thoughts on this one. Mm. So I think a couple of thoughts uh, comes to mind. Um, number one, I think it's it's about time that not just in Ethiopia but all across Africa hmm. that we really start to as much as possible um, not make sure that we make sure that not only. I'll say twenty to thirty percent. The twenty to thirty percent should not be deciding um, like the overall country's um, direction. Hmm. Um, so what I mean by that is that it's about time that we start to to include as much as possible every single um, tribe or every single region um, within the countries. They, they need to feel like they're part of this decision-making process because I think until that happens, you always have a group um, or a section. Of the country that feels like their voice um, is not heard, 
Hmm. Um, and then usually what ends up happening will be, okay, they want to create trouble. Yeah. They're unhappy. Yeah. They're not pleased. Um, then a country becomes um, destabilized. Hmm. Um, and I think that's something we, we've seen over and over again um, hmm. in all over Africa. Yeah. Um, so I think my first thought around that would just be having um, a situation where these people who are feeling um, unheard or unlistened to, mm-hmm. if there's a way the government um, can can find a way to include them. Hmm. Um, I would say, secondly, um, now that the prime minister have uh, resigned, uh, what is the new direction? What is the way forward? Yeah. Um, how can Ethiopia or Ethiopians or even the larger um, community, so let's say the African Union. Right. I know that currently the African Union is actually headquarters in, in Addis yeah, Ababa. Right. Uh, um, so what role can a, an organization like the, the AU play right mm. now um, in Ethiopia? Mm. Um, I think it's, it's if you, at least for me personally speaking, I find it really hard to really pinpoints um if you say the AU or if you say ECOWAS like all these right. um, organizations we have around the continent what do they do? what roles are they what do they actually do mm-hmm. um in times in times like this what are the key roles that they're actually doing right so i think this is a time for for um the AU to step mm-hmm. to to, st- to step up and mm-hmm. to really give some guidance and to give s- some support right. um to Ethiopia and especially since the HQ or the headquarters is right there Right. I think it couldn't be, it's just a perfect time. Right. And I think as they, they look forward to perhaps um, looking at what's next, mm-hmm. it would be good to just make sure that the new systems and the new people that are put in place mm-hmm. are people that actually really do have the heart and the passion for the country mm-hmm. and are people uh, who really would like to take Ethiopia to that next level. Mm-hmm. Um, but once again, I think really an organization like the AU um, should step in here and and assist, not necessarily take over, um, but just be a helping hand in this transitional process. Right. Uh, I completely agree with you. You know, oftentimes I think the issue with the African Union and oftentimes uh, more so than any other international bodies that there's no consistency. Do they do the same things over and over again in every country when certain situations arise? Do they intervene militarily in countries that are struggling? Do they give uh, financial support to growing economies? Do they do, the, you know, they're setting levels of consistency that shows people what you do. And I think the African Union simply doesn't have it yet. Um, nobody knows what they do. Um, at least the, the layman has no clue what they do beyond being a general organizing body that sometimes puts out very interesting ideas like a universal passport. The issue, however, is always implementation. Um, Nobody Correct. knows how much sway they have over individual countries. You know, if the AU tells Nigeria what to do, does that mean Nigeria is going to do it? At this point, we'll I wouldn't do it, think so. Right. Yeah. So um, that that's just a really good point. And, and even, you know, speaking of this situation specifically, um, Ethiopia d- does have a history of violent repression. So unfortunately, this is underreported because of um, what people suspect is underreported, at least because of their... Uh, up their, their favorable position with Western powers. Um, but the truth is that, you know, they've had, you know, horrible uh, uh, repressive incidents where, you know, hundreds of people have been uh, uh, injured and wounded and, you know, many people have died in, in those uh, protests, especially at the last election, if I recall correctly, or the, the second to the last election. Um, and, 
you know, it, it, it's uh, one of those things where it was something we need to pay attention to. Um, that can't continue because this is almost democratic repression now. Um, you have an entire party being repressive as opposed to a singular individual. And that's always more yeah. easy to mask, right? You know, if it's one person, like a Mugabe fellow, um, you know what to do, you know who he is, you know how to get to him. Um, or, you know, you, you know, there's a f- target, whereas this is almost a quote-unquote democratic front uh, pretending um, to be uh, democratically uh, inclined as a nation. So this is kind of the downside to, of, democ- of, of democratic system. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it could go wrong. And, and this rule, at, at minimum, is very repressive. There's very there's no reason beyond just solidifying the position for uh, such a ban to exist, in my personal opinion. Um, and it's un- unfortunate that it, it was ratified. And, you know, for there to be such a significant chunk of dissent within the party, it shows you that um, some people at least think have the good conscience to know that it's a terrible idea. Um, and then, so let's go on to, to, uh, what might be our final story for today. And this is pretty much just a detail that we're going to kind of discuss. Um, Africa is now home to the world's largest migrant population. Um, migration from African nations has increased dramatically in the last in three decades, going from 1% in the 1990s to 31% by the 2000s. A new study shows, um, as of 2017, some 25 million sub-Saharan migrants lived outside their nation of birth, according to the Pew Region Recent Center, with the exception of Syria, where a violent conflict has created a humanitarian disaster since 2011. Um, the region accounted for nine of the 10 fastest growing international migrant populations since 2010. Um, with a global average growth of 17%, immigration from sub-Saharan nations grew by 50% or more between 2010 and 2017. Um, this is uh, partly um, unfortunate and also partly, um, you know, sad news. Um, it, the, you know, if you look at if you look at kind of the, those that's those statistics, it does two things. It compares how it was in the past, the one percent, um, which could be explained by new modes of transport. People can fly places, so it's easier for people to get around. That that might be partly to blame. Um, but it also explains um, kind of the difference between the global average and and um, African nations. And that's unfortunate because, you know, it does show, show you that, it, you know, a lot of people are leaving their countries, um, whether it is to other African countries, which might be fine, um, but perhaps also to leave the continent in itself um, permanently. And, and that just shows you generally that there, a lot of the nations have issues with um, providing livable environments for their people. Um, and the truth is that um, if we all leave, you know, the, then the societies collapse. That's, that's, that's really is the, the end of the end. That's the worst case scenario. And, uh, this, this one kind of hits me a little bit, John. Do you have any uh, thoughts on this? Yeah, so this one is, uh, is one that hits close to home. Um, I think for me and you and probably for most uh, young Africans listening to this today, um, a couple of things I would say, you were saying, okay, they're leaving their, their countries and perhaps they may be going to other African countries. Um, but I, I, I highly doubt that. Yeah. I think if we, if we take a look at probably if we had the numbers and we had more insight into perhaps where they're migrating to, I would say they're probably leaving the continent. You will probably see a lot more numbers of showing that they're leaving the continent and actually right. staying within. Right. Um, now, 
it's obviously not necessarily bad to leave the continent to seek higher high education right. opportunities and so forth. Right. And on the flip side, maybe we we may not all come back home, right? Hmm. Um, but everyone is always leaving, and there there isn't even a sizable percentage of those people who are coming back. Coming back home. Then yeah. I think that that that's that's sad or that's bad because, like you were saying, it means that um, the countries or hmm. our continent as a whole we're not really um, establishing jobs, or we're not making the country conducive enough for the young people to stay. Right. Um, and if young people are leaving, um, we are supposed to be the future. We are supposed to 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 be the ones making um, these key decisions um, in the years to come. Hmm. Um, and I think a second thing is perhaps another reason why maybe young Africans or Africans who are migrating may not necessarily be going to other African countries is that, quite frankly, it's very expensive. Yeah. So in terms of uh, just looking at West Africa alone, in terms of flying mm. from Lagos to Monrovia, for example, you're you're probably going to spend anything from four hundred to four hundred and fifty dollars round wow. trip. So so the transportational options are not very many, mm -hmm. and the ones that are there um, are very expensive. Mm. So if you look at transportation, is mostly by air. Right. Um, we don't have great um, inter-country or inter-cities transportation um, system trains or right. railroads set up yet. Um, a place like West Africa that is blessed by the beautiful um, Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm very sure you, it will be hard even for now for you to see someone who told you they've driven from maybe one part oh, um, of the coast to yeah. the next part. Right? right. So people are not even traveling right. that route. You know. So everyone everyone is flying. And so I think because of this too, you find we as Africans or we as West Africans, we know very little about each other because we're not necessarily traveling that mm. much. We maybe we're only um, taking what we see on the news, right, mm. to make up um, our perspective and our opinions of, 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 of our various countries. Mm. So I think it's we there's so much potential, I think. Uh, we are proud of the continent that have the most amount of young people, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So far, the yeah. question is, by far, so the question is, well, how can we use that to our advantage? Mm. Um, young people have energy, young people have ideas. Right. Um, you know, so how can we channel all of that into, into, into ideas, into a, a group of people that are really be movers and shakers yeah. on the continent, no matter where they find themselves? Yeah. Um, so... Um, those are just my thoughts. Um, I think it's something that we as Africans, we as a continent still have to do um, better with right. um, and just providing opportunities um, for um, those within country and even those who are leaving. If they are leaving, great. But then if they want to return back someday, what are they returning to do? Right. So on the flip, and maybe you don't really blame um, these young people. Uh, or you don't blame us because we also fall in <laughs> oh, that yes. category. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you don't blame us for not wanting to return because the question then becomes: If you're going to return, what are you what are, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, what um, jobs? What opportunities? Right. What policies have government put in place to make sure that young people can really strive yeah. and do their very best? Uh, because if they if they do strive and do their best in return, mm. that's also good for the continent and for the countries overall. Yep, I, I completely agree. And those are profound thoughts. And, and the, the, you know, the plan is even both to, you know, within those spaces where people are returning to make a future, maybe they are making space for other people to return, um, giving opportunity for their ideas to be valid. And, uh, you know, 
to be to make an impact. So um, you've made some profound thoughts there, John, and thank you so much for for sharing with sharing this Pod Save Africa a news update with me. Um, yeah, this has been your host, Akiandi Adirli. Uh, John, you want to say some parting words? Yeah, so I just wanted to also add on our last topic here. I was mm-hmm. talking to a young man um, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he, he's just finished up his undergrad um, in, I believe it was mechanical, mechanical okay. engineering. Okay. Um, and he's home until September or so forth. And then he's going back to the UK for uh, a master's degree, mm-hmm. uh, I think in product design or something design. Yeah. Uh, and funny enough, I can he he actually looked at our school, oh, IIT, really, really? Yeah. Uh, for 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 a master's program. Since right, yeah. I believe we we have one of the best product designs, yeah, uh, design is probably the best, in, right? institute of designs yeah. uh, in in the country. Um, so he yeah, had looked at that, but then he I think he's gonna probably settle for staying in the UK. Yeah, but then my yeah. my question to him was like, okay, with product design what do you really hope um, to do with that, right? Mm. So then you could just tell as he was trying to think about his options in terms of um, which areas he could really apply that that um, degree to mm-hmm. if he came back home to Nigeria, mm-hmm. um, he was really blank. Um, he, like, there wasn't really a lot of ideas that came to his head. Right. The only thing he could say that was that, well, um, he, he could come back and do manufacturing and work right. in maybe the manufacturing type of sector, right. but that would, that would be more of an assembly, right. not necessarily design or, you know, a design creation. Right. So I think that's just an area, that's an example of an area that um, are lacking. And I think right. what I told him was, well, it's lacking today, but you could be, yeah, you yeah. could be um, the pioneer or be someone who comes back yeah. and helps start that sector. Yeah. Um, so... But no, it's been a great time. Thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks okay. for listening, everybody. And um, thanks again. All right. Yeah, you can find John. You're on. Are you still on Twitter? <laughs> no, I'm not. No, he's not. But um, don't worry. I'll, I'll put something for where you can find him on Twitter. Don't forget to follow us at Pod Save Africa. Um, that's Pod with a zero. Uh, thank you so very much for listening, and you have a wonderful rest of your day.